Live from Pacific Junction Hotel. It's funny, I never thought about Jordan Peterson and Justin Bieber in the same category before. <laughs> uh, what happened to Canadians being nice? I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, maybe it got too boring and uh, people were looking at U.S. politics and how uh, polarizing and sensational and entertaining it was. And, uh, and uh, that's carried over here. Yeah, I mean, it, that makes sense. You look at the the American landscape. They've got like things from like John Oliver to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah to like all those late night shows, whatever. And we basically have this hour has 22 minutes. The amount of volume and jokes and sarcasm and satire they have compared to ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So the documentary, as I said, is Shut Him Down, The Rise of Jordan Peterson. And I saw like... Even as you were posting stuff on Twitter, uh, yeah, I went on Twitter and YouTube. I read some of the comments, which <laughs> I, I know you're not supposed to do. But what's interesting <laughs> is like there was like two groups of fears, right? There was like one group of people were scared that this was going to be like a character assassination. And then another mm-hmm. group were like scared that like uh, you would praise them or like kind of give them a bigger platform and these kind of things. But the problem is, though, is that a filmmaker is kind of driven by curiosity, Mm-hmm. right you're not driven by fear you're mm-hmm. driven by curiosity mm-hmm. right and that's what makes a successful filmmaker especially for a documentary filmmaker so how do you balance curiosity with fear mm-hmm. oh that's very interesting in the context of this film i mean certainly curiosity was leading me through this but uh but there was a lot of fear and anxiety i guess in knowing that there was going to be these two very polarized reactions. And that was constantly in my mind when thinking about, well, how do we frame this in a way that doesn't disillusion one side of that audience automatically just by things like the title mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the framing of the film and, um, you know, just using certain terminology. I and mean, if you say this film was about political correctness, well, it's like, aha, uh-huh, okay, you, you picked a side. I know, I know what you're about. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then people decide automatically, like, okay, I'm, I, I will like this film or I won't like this film. Even his name, too, is like another grenade. Uh-huh. Because I was like saying to somebody recently, I'm like, I have this uh, documentary filmmaker. She's coming in. She did the Jordan Peterson documentary. And my friend was like, whoa, you're allowed to like bring that up and talk about that or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not picking a side. She's the one who made it. I'm just like, yeah. we're just going to talk about the issues. Right. So it's like even just throwing that out. I'm like, I didn't even say anything positive or negative. I just said I have a filmmaker coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the interesting thing is that it's it's no longer seen as ethical to not pick a side. Like it's been interesting seeing how as you as you mentioned the social media and how all the comments have been playing out online as people are trying to figure out well what should we expect with this film there does seem to be a common fear among people from i guess both sides of this let's say politically left or right wing leaning there's a common fear of you know what will the bias be will this be balanced or not yet at the same time especially coming from the political left the idea of balance isn't really seen as ethical with regards to journalism anymore um there's this meme going around online i don't know if you've seen it that says if someone says it's raining outside and someone else says it's not raining outside a journalist's job is to look outside and say is it raining or not oh Um, so that seems to be commonly used it that way of thinking is commonly being described more and more as you know what the role is in in being ethical it's like things are either moral or immoral and so for you to not pick a side or to be balanced it's it's unethical because you're making a false balance let's say so i was very well aware of that and thinking about that a lot throughout the making of this film and what i found was the most appropriate way to approach this was to dig into the differing worlds of where 
people were coming from and posing vantage points and to really deeply try to understand what's at stake for them. And, you know, what what are the points that they're making that that makes sense to me, you know, once I really scrutinize and go through them and, you know, why does this matter to them? So, you know, I guess on a superficial level, it's about being balanced, but really I did try to treat it as something deeper than that. Well, and the other problem with what you're saying is that um, in terms of everything being classified is that you lose nuance too, though. Absolutely. Right. And so it's like, because Jordan Pearson will say things like clean your room. I'm like, that's not revolutionary or offensive. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And so it's like, all right, I can, I can agree with that. But then maybe he'll say some things about trans people or something. I'm like, okay, I don't agree with that. So I don't know then like follow up on what you're saying about balance uh, and moral and immoral. Then how come it just can't be a thing where like you listen to everybody, what they have to say. And it's like, if they say 10 things, I'm like, well, five of those I agreed with. And five of those things offended me. Why does it have to be like almost all or nothing? Cause the documentary is called shut them down. Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. <laughs> Do you have an answer, a solution? Can you fix all our problems? We have a lot of problems. Yeah, I made this film because I have all the answers and it's super easy. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, the part of the film, part of, I guess, the undercurrent of the film is exploring that question. You know, the this ethic of deplatforming someone whose speech you see as unethical. And to a degree, of course, I understand that but i mean i i think what has been shown is that it's not really effective it it kind of has the opposite result so but we know that from history like anytime we've tried to ban books or rap music (laughs) or any sort of something we tried to push it down it ends up either flourishing in the underground and then Mm -hmm. it sneaks up on us later on because nobody was paying attention properly or it flourishes i mean you know this from like I thought everybody who's a teenager experienced this where like your parents tell you, no, you can't go out, <laughs> right? Or you can't date this person or you right. can't have the car. And of course, teenagers are like, what? You can't tell me what to do, mm-hmm. right? That's a common refrain. So I don't know why this would be an effective method or worth adopting when the results are not always going to be the desired results. Mm-hmm. I think people are so upset and hurt and tired. And, um, you know, I think for many people, they have a positive outcome in mind and um yeah i guess you know some of that history is lost so i want to start at the beginning you were following jordan uh before uh the uh professor against political correctness youtube videos before uh bill c16 as you were shooting some of this uh footage was there any inklings or did your spider sense tingle that something was shifting or that he was kind of onto something or was there a change of thinking or any sort of something like a, any sort of tea leaves mm-hmm. before the video before all that stuff you're one of the few people who got to see before mm-hmm. middle and a little bit after right so mm-hmm. um what was it like before mm-hmm. so i was making a completely different film um before this started i was following jordan's friendship with uh first nations carver charles joseph who lives on the west coast and he's part of the kwakwakwak nation I had been making or working on that film for a year and a half before the videos were posted. Um, I didn't see the videos coming, but I will say that there was something about my other film that I felt like wasn't quite lining up yet, but it wasn't something I could articulate as to why. It was just a sort of intuitive sense. Um, 
I do think in retrospect, it was somehow related to this suddenly emerging. But yeah, I didn't see uh, these videos coming. And that summer, um, before the videos were posted, I also had been focusing a bit more on just commercial video work because this the documentary I was working on was completely self-funded. So um, as I think many documentary filmmakers starting out uh, will do, you know, you'll balance that out with shooting films or sorry, shooting wedding videos and whatever mm -hmm. it is. So um, I was kind of in that space. And then and then the videos came out and then everything changed. Why do you think he agreed to do the documentary i guess the first one that you're talking about with the artist and then now this one like allow like knowing that he was like getting bombarded from all sides uh -huh. right like why would he continue with the documentary so the first film it's funny when i first approached him it was with an interest in his ideas i had been following his work for a very long time i guess over 10 years now so i first approached him with that in mind and then i spoke with him about what else was happening in his life. And then I learned about what was happening with Charles Joseph. And so then I decided to focus the film on that. So why did he agree to it at that point? I mean, probably initially it was because, um, well, you know, he's a pretty open person and, uh, you know, he's, he's interested in projects and seeing where, you know, they'll, where they'll go. And I think others had approached him about documentaries before, but they hadn't panned out. So I think that was it initially. Then when this controversy broke out, I mean, he was getting so many media requests and, and even requests from other filmmakers wanting to make a film about this in some way. Um, I think I had already earned his trust um, because I had been filming with him and his family for a year and a half before that. And I mean, I, I felt like I couldn't really continue moving in the direction that I was before because this had taken over his life. It, 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 um, I didn't see any other path forward. Mm-hmm. But certainly... The audience would be angry with you too if you just presented <laughs> right, like right. this it's... documentary with this, this artist and we're like, what? What about all the other stuff? <laughs> what other stuff? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I had to follow it um, to make sense of it and because that's what everyone was seeing. So, mm -hmm. um, But why did he continue to agree? I, I think because that trust was there and you know, it's not like there weren't other media requests happening anyway. So I guess it was just about continuing to maintain that relationship but, you know, as he got busier, it was certainly harder. Um, I remember a period in, I think it was in December, probably, where, um, you know, there was this one shoot that I had planned. And um, we basically had to sort of cut it short because his family, especially, was trying to really set better boundaries because he was kind of saying yes to everything. You know, he was doing so many interviews that fall. Mm. Um but his family, especially his daughter and his wife, were like, okay, well, we gotta, we have to set some boundaries now. And, you know, we barely have any time with Jordan now. So, yeah, it did start to get harder. So I had to just try to make it as easy as possible for him and for them and just insert myself into their schedule and uh, be a fly on the wall wherever possible and to, you know, step back wherever necessary and then lean in whenever I could. Before all this happened, you actually took some of his classes at U of T. Right. Or you attended some of them with a friend or uh, your friend took? Mm -hmm. A friend of mine was studying political science and took a couple of his classes. And I sort of unofficially audited one of them. I didn't do any of the assignments. And I'm not even sure if I attended every single class uh, in the course. But yeah, I did attend some of the classes. So you feel 
I mean, because this was one of the themes towards the end of the documentary where people are like, can you believe he's teaching all these students? And like uh-huh. this idea that it's like he's corrupted these students or like, so like coming out of the, that class, like do you and your friend, and I know you may not be able to speak for your friend necessarily, but do you guys feel betrayed or misled or like do you like with what he said in the class do you feel that's what you would expect normally from a uft professor or do you feel that there was something a little bit more risky or like uh maybe even corruptive like this kind of like what was implied in the documentary uh, so do i feel betrayed by him mm-hmm. because of the direction he's gone in now no or like even what he was teaching in the class itself too with the education that you got from him or from the from uh, being in the lectures do you know what uh-huh. i mean do you feel like that it it corrupted your thinking or that it... No, no, not at all. To be honest, person that says that, I mean, that's someone who said to me that they didn't want to watch any of his YouTube videos because it would give him hits, yet at the same time was keen on organizing protests, which would obviously draw attention to him. So it doesn't really make sense. So I don't know how well that person understands his ideas. Mm-hmm. And that brings up a valid point because... Watching the documentary, I was trying to better understand just what exactly is the threat that Jordan Peterson poses or like how he is dangerous to the trans community. I understand people like say somebody like Steve Bannon, who has access to the White House and power and those kind of things. And he can pass laws and have people removed and things like that. I get that part of this. That's a real threat. But uh, how is somebody like Jordan Peterson like a threat? Because it was still a little unclear. I'm not trying to be obtuse. I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to understand like the actual issue and what's at stake Mm -hmm. well i mean i think especially now he's he's someone that has a huge cultural influence in people's thinking so i think just even the fact that he was criticizing a human rights law that's for trans people um you know and talking about pronouns in this context of you know, it, it being something that people might be insisting upon. It's just for a lot of people, they didn't even know what a non-binary person was before this. So their first association of a non-binary person is with this, you know, crazy Marxist law, mm-hmm. <laughs> totalitarian law. So from what I found, you know, a lot of the non-binary and trans people that I spoke with weren't even necessarily that concerned with his criticisms about the law, but more so with the negative attention being drawn around pronouns and what that means and that it's you know it's going to be this like crazy fight and like oh my god there's 70 pronouns when you know in reality the majority of people who identify as non-binary will either use their name or they them pronouns you know some of the other pronouns like ginger like those are far 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 less common so there was more concern about how the public will come to know this issue and them mm-hmm you mentioned like the trans activists and like the trans community trying to get the public to understand what the situation is and what the, the one of the one of the backlash that Me Too is kind of facing now is like with say somebody like Louis C.K. where people are very frustrated that the media is choosing to focus on Louis C.K. rather than the women that he engaged with, right? And it feels like the women that that had the situations with Louis, they didn't ha- they don't have a voice or or not quite represented in the media. And one of your trans activists uh, he said that as well. You know, it's really frustrating that Jordan's now getting all this. And you just mentioned, like, in that fall, like, he was doing yes all yes to all these interviews. Mm-hmm. And he is now, obviously, a very large, notable public figure. Is that a commentary on media? Is that a commentary on fame? Like, is there something that we are overlooking or our, our journalists have to adjust? Yeah, what is that commentary on? And why is it that the attention is focused that way? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Is it 
what people are interested in generally? Is it that part of human nature is to be interested in the negativity and the, you know, the person that's bringing in this, uh, you know, this criticism that we never would have thought of before? I find too, some journalists are not also equipped like some of the Me Too stuff, a lot of journalists haven't um, really kind of talked or have any sort of sexual abuse background or anything like this. So it's hard to get to talk to the people. It's really hard enough to talk about that experience. But if you're talking to a journalist who doesn't know this stuff, right, mm-hmm. then it's like that becomes even harder than to properly translate that experience into the media. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And I mean, with the case of Louis C.K., he was obviously a hugely popular comedian. So you can't help but also you know, have attention drawn to that mm-hmm. side of the story. So it's probably quite a few different factors at play. Yeah. Is the media understanding enough of the issues of like Jordan Peterson? You mentioned like some of the trans people and they're worried about like non-binary kind of being lost in the mix and stuff like this. Yeah. Or is it just now just like, are we just at a point where just like, it's just easy clicks? You know what I mean? So you, again, like you just throw out Jordan Peterson's name and then off you go. And then it's like, you don't really have to even say anything. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm saying. So it's like you feel like the media has gotten now that Jordan Peterson has been around for a little while. Do you mm-hmm. feel that the media has got a better handle on uh, oh. Jordan Peterson and the issues? Or is it just kind of now uh, just all a click farm now and just knowing that like you can throw out his name and like protest or something and then that's it. Like it's not mm-hmm. like there's no actual issues or nuance again to go back to that. Oh, gosh, it, it totally depends. You know, there's both. There's the whole spectrum. There's. In the longer form podcast, like the one we're having right now, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to have more constructive conversations that get into the nuance. You know, in the shorter media pieces, um, in some of the news agencies, you don't. (laughs) I don't know why this just popped in my head, but there was a really weird Mother Jones article that the headline was something about the the carnivore diet, the new fad among the alt-right. It was just like, wow, (laughs) I I thought Mother Jones was a legit media source. Like, what is that about? So uh, it's all of the above. I don't know if there's a cohesive answer to that, you know, Mm -hmm. the media generally. And as you followed Jordan through this kind of, uh, the controversy as you framed it, right? Is he... I don't know how to frame it. Okay, is he in love, I guess, too in love with his own ideas? Or is... Because, you know, sometimes when you have a friend and they bring around, like, their new boyfriend and their new girlfriend and it's, like, somebody really crappy and you're like, what? Like, what happened? Like, you're a good person, whatever. Why are you with this crappy... Like, is he in love with his ideas too much and so he can't have any, like... He can't have any separation. So even if he got legitimate mm-hmm. criticism, he can't separate in the criticism from the idea. Like, he'll commit to it no matter what. Or do you find him that kind of... He is evolving, kind of thinking through things and kind of mm-hmm. working through things. Mm-hmm. I think in the right environment, he'll he'll think through it in the way that you're describing. But I think also, um, you know, because he's felt so cornered and under attack i think he's been motivated to have to just be really strong in defending his ideas so they're it you know in the right space i think he'll think through it in that open way but if he's in a conversation where he doesn't feel like the other person is speaking or or arguing even in good faith to get to the deeper idea then i think he just he won't budge or he won't even um you know engage in that in the way that you're describing mm-hmm and I mean, that's very hard because the problem too with somebody like him is that people come with their agendas right away, mm-hmm. right? The mirror and uh, metaphor is like he was working through fame, partly through your documentary, right? Towards the right. end and he was trying to figure out and there really is no rules for fame. 
Right. Right. And a lot of these things too, we're still figuring these things out, these terms, these what they mean, and like even something like feminism, which has been around for several decades, it's still a very complex thing and it's not and it means different things to different women and different men, right? So it's not like we can just boil it all down. So what I'm getting at, I guess, is with Jordan Peterson, is he at the point where like do you find that his ideas, um, and as you engage them, do you find that his ideas were getting bigger and bigger, or were they kind of just like getting smaller and smaller and almost more narrow? You know what I mean? And it's kind of like overlooking certain things. Do you get what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. I, I do. I think so. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I get there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would characterize it as bigger or smaller, but I would say uh, his... His thinking is pretty consistent, but he's, you know, honed in on it even more um, because he's been talking about it so much. I think he's become just, you know, even more direct and precise and specific in what he means about it. But yeah, overall, he's been pretty consistent mm-hmm. um, in what he's saying. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah, because I mean, that's part of the uh, that we see that with a lot of the way that the left deal with some of the politicians on the right for example they try and do the gotcha stuff right what's like mm-hmm. well you said this in 2016 right now yeah. you're saying this in 2017 or 2018 like so that's the thing if your thinking is consistent then it becomes a lot harder to kind of like take you down in a sense right your mm-hmm. thinking might be wrong still but at least if it's consistent then he's at least committed to it does that make sense mm-hmm, definitely and that's not to say that you know there aren't ever these points where it's like but wait a minute you said this and isn't that a contradiction and you know it doesn't mean that those things haven't arrived but overall you know the larger messages he's trying to put forward and the ideas he's putting forward i would say those things have been consistent mhm and as much as the the documentary focuses on Jordan Peterson and uh, issues with the the laws and uh, being a social justice warrior and all these kind of things. I mentioned the fact that the the documentary does explore fame, mm-hmm. right? And that to me is also like an interesting subplot because it is like, this is what we do now. This is how people get famous now, right? right, right. It's like, because it's the idea of a professor like a U of T professor just getting famous. Like we used to just do like basketball or movies or music or something, <laughs> right? Like the pop right. culture stuff. Right. But now it's like a U of T professor who's getting famous. And I'm like, that's kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. And so was that also in something that kind of interested you in terms of your curiosity and like noticing that somebody like unusual is getting famous? Mm-hmm. So this is strange, you know, for me, because I knew about his work and reputation at UFT, at least among students for a long time, in a way there's something about the fame that didn't surprise me, though of course, you know, the the massive level of it is surprising, but he already was a kind of mini celebrity at the University of Toronto. Um, he was that life-changing professor. After class, students would always line up to ask him questions, and on the last day, they would bring him gifts. And there was a period where the only thing he would drink was Diet Coke. And, you know, he would come into class, and there would be a Diet Coke sitting there on the podium that a student left for him. So, what I'm seeing happening now in terms of his relationship with young people and how they feel so inspired by his messages, I think that was always there. But it was at a way, 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 way smaller fraction um, mm-hmm. than what it is now. Do you think or feel like after talking to him and hanging out with him that there is some sort of like 
end goal or grand vision or is he just kind of making this up as he goes along like uh-huh. is he trying to start up a think tank or something or some uh-huh. new university or something or i don't know what uh-huh. i think he is figuring it out as he goes along but um he has talked about this idea of starting an online university and that is in progress um, he does have coders that are working on that and trying to figure out what that could actually look like so he is moving forward with that how do we balance Divergent thinkers and mavericks, which, you know, a lot of people in our society revere as well, like Steve Jobs and like the whole Apple thing, think different. Like we like people who think outside the box. But then there's a point where it's like you think too much outside the box, right? And then you get in trouble for that because it's then you borderline or you enter into heresy and then you end up being shunned and shamed. Because at the same time, like we don't want to get in a position where like if somebody expresses a thought or an idea and it may be counter to what is popular or what is acceptable, we're not going to progress as a society. Have have you learned from what doing this documentary and hanging out with Jordan Peterson? How do we balance thinking out loud and knowing that we might get into trouble versus like not getting in trouble and not committing heresy? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what I've seen is that you know when you are going to be thinking out loud and saying something that goes against the grain, it certainly gets a lot of people's attention, both positively and negatively, and it does get a lot of people thinking because it it pushes you to you know consider things in a way that you haven't before i certainly saw that with a lot of people around what jordan peterson was saying i don't know if that answers your question in terms of finding the balance i don't know maybe maybe you can't have one without the other in certain cases because it is weird how we do revere certain people who like go outside the box and like right. you're cool but then this guy's a jerk face right right <laughs> And it's like, I don't know how it ever like boils down that way. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's been so interesting for me in exploring this film is the way I feel like there's this undercurrent of society kind of battling out what it means to be a good person and what our ethics are. And Jordan Peterson has come to represent both the most virtuous hero and this awful bigot. So, yeah, it's, it's like in terms of finding that balance, it's... I don't know if there's an answer to that, but uh, this this undercurrent of that question, I think, is um, is part of what's playing out right now. Well, it's interesting because, just a slight tangent, but related to what you're saying is that when a lot of actors will play like a, a quote-unquote a bad guy in a Marvel movie or a mm-hmm. blockbuster like that, whatever, the, the actor can't just like write off this character and say he's a bad guy and just kind of like... Because oftentimes, some of the bad guys, they're actually complex. And they actually are trying to do something good. Their just methods are just awful or mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they, the actors have to discover a certain amount of humanity. So that way then like, because you can't just dismiss them like as a blank page or else then they're just like, you know what I mean? They're just like kind of like a, just a faceless Nazi almost, right? Mm-hmm. But if you actually can de- deliver some humanity underneath that. And the other thing, because related to that is that bad guys also don't always tend to see themselves that way as bad guys right mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. the difference right. um they try to like i said they try to see themselves as doing something virtuous or something like this and then it's just like captain america or daredevil or somebody's in the way mm-hmm. <laughs> does that make sense mm-hmm. what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i think too like just listening to what your jordan peterson was saying in the documentary he never saw himself the way that other people were viewing him mm-hmm. there was a gap there mm-hmm. so even though he had a he got all these labels both positive and negative it didn't reflect his own sense of identity does that mm. make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think um well as you know as you've seen in the film and as 
people uh, will see in the film if and when they do watch it. Part of what is explored in it is you know, Jordan considering his own identity in this massive transformation. And what about your own identity? Like you said, you had an emotional journey trying to get all this done, but now you got to get it out into the world. And it seems like I said, like I opened at the top with the YouTube comments and the Twitter comments <laughs> and stuff like that. So it seems like your emotional journey is still ongoing. And that's the other thing too I find with Jordan Peterson or people like him. You don't get to arrive at a simple neat like he was a cool guy you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) you don't get to arrive at a simple neat logical conclusion Mm -hmm. have you found that too and like you keep shifting and like trying to put it all into some sort of like cohesive emotional package in terms of what i think about him yeah yeah actually you know one of one of the questions that i most dread when i'm doing interviews like this is so what do you think of jordan peterson and i was like oh i hope they don't ask me that but i know everybody wants to know that because yes i i find that it is something so complex and it's hard for me to even begin to know how to answer that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's no different. You're married to somebody like you love them, but the way you feel about them changes constantly. Mm-hmm. It's not a static thing, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what I find interesting. And you have a longer version of this documentary as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it uh, it'll be most likely seventy five minutes long. Um, it's not completely finished yet, so that's why I'm not one hundred percent sure. But it'll probably be seventy five minutes long. Right now, our plans are to release it theatrically in the U.S. and internationally in the spring of two thousand and nineteen, and we'll have more details that we'll be updating on social media as we have it. And where does the social media so people can follow and uh, see when the, all that will be happening? Mm-hmm. So our website is www www.shuthimdownfilm.com our twitter is shdfilm and um, uh, on instagram we're holding space films um, and our facebook page is shut him down film shut him down the rise of jordan peterson will air on the cbc on november 2nd at 9 p.m and are you i know you can't legislated or anything like this but are you hoping that people come at this with an open mind and kind of set the agenda aside for the like an hour or so (laughs) and actually kind of like work through some of those issues or are you just expecting like an avalanche of just like hate and like things people gonna make you cry would be sad (laughs) um quickly before i answer that question before i forget um just to say that it the documentary is broadcasting on cbc docs pov and um after it broadcasts on tv it's also going to stream on cbc docs pov's website so okay cbc.ca slash watch. Um, But so to answer your question, hmm, I certainly hope that people will watch it with an open mind, but it's unrealistic for me to hope that, uh, you know, everyone will come at it that way because I think, especially with this issue, people are coming into it with a very strong opinion. Um, You know, as we've seen in the social media comments, a lot of people think that I'm part of the, you know, evil communist plot to make this hit piece on Jordan Peterson. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the most that I can hope for is that the film presents to people who have a open enough mind to see that this is at least a bit more nuanced than maybe they thought and that maybe they'll have a bit more understanding as to where the other side of this is coming from if they're identifying with one side of this tribe more than the other and that maybe their strong worldview with regards to this will become slightly um, they'll become slightly more unsure about that at least to open up some curiosity and some questions Uh, this is a hard question so i apologize for it but i'm curious because as a documentary filmmaker our documentaries one of the best ways we have to get out of this tribal 
kind of us and them kind of thing because the best documentaries are windows into those worlds mm-hmm. right this was a world into a window into jordan peterson's world and i wouldn't have had this if you hadn't made his documentary so our documentary is a way for us to get out of this us and them when it's like you can kind of see this more humane experience and return back to nuance they can be but it depends on how they're made they can also be used to make really good propaganda <laughs> so i certainly tried to do the former because i i think that you know when i looked at all the various different lenses through which i could see this film it was most important for me to look at it through this lens of political polarization and tribalism because that's the wave that's running underneath this um, and as as far as i could see it so i do think documentaries can be a really important tool for showcasing that complexity and nuance so yes but it depends on how they're made okay as a positive note we can end it there <laughs> thank you Patricia, for coming in thank you for making the documentary thank so, you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure speaking with you thank you so i hope people do check it out and i hope uh it'll be interesting to see too as it gets out like you said out to the theatrical release it'll be interesting to see what the screenings are like and who mm-hmm. actually ends up showing and like because those are community gatherings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and that'll exactly. be fascinating to see how that all works out so thank you agreed thank you My name is Sam Yunin. This has been My Summer Lair. Thanks for listening.